Welcome to episode 72 of the AAEM RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. This episode is a recording of a live webinar that took place on August 11th, 2020. In this episode, Lauren Lamparter, AAEM RSA Medical Student Council President, and Brianna Beaver, AAEM RSA Medical Student Council Western Regional Representative, interview West Coast Program Directors from UCLA Olive View, UC Irvine, Harbor UCLA Medical Center, and Kauai Delta Health Center. So welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Brianna Beaver and I'm the Western Regional Representative of the RSA Medical Student Council. And we just wanted to welcome you to this West Coast Program Director panel that we have. So to start off, I would just like to have our panelists introduce themselves and then also talk a little bit about how they found EM or their journey to emergency medicine. Sure, um, so I'm Shannon Tui. I'm the Program Director at University of California, Irvine. And um, I went to med school at UC Irvine, kind of knew I wanted something general, didn't know if it was family, emergency medicine, got to my fourth year, which is the hard, I mean, at least you guys are past that now. Most of you guys have probably done your EM rotation, but I think not knowing till your fourth year at most med schools is a little weird because you haven't gotten to like actually go do your EM rotation, but fell in love with it. Stayed at UCI for residency. Uh, they actually built a fellowship out for me um, in medical education, technology, and design. Um, that I stayed for and then I stayed on as an associate program director and became program director about a year ago. Um, so been here for a while. Um, so that's me. Hi, I'm Linda Herman. I'm the program director at Quia Delta. Uh, it's in Visalia in the Central Valley. Um, actually, I was a critical care nurse before I went to medical school and I thought I wanted to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. And what I found when I went to medical school is that there was, I, the procedures in surgery were nice, but there was not a lot of um, mental discipline in it to me. And I liked internal medicine, but I didn't want to give up all the procedures. And I had switched to working in the emergency department while I was going through school. And so I decided on emergency medicine. And that's how I got started in emergency medicine. And at first I thought I wanted to be faculty. I um, went to Ohio State for medical school, U of I for my um, residency, and I did an EMS fellowship. But what happened is, is I started to raise a family and I worked only clinical for several years while my family was young. And then the, the group that I worked for started their own residency and I worked my way up through that until I was APD. And then I came out here to California to be the program director. I guess I'll go next. Uh, I'm Rebecca Bavalik. I'm the program director at UCLA. Uh, our program is associated with Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center and all of you UCLA Medical Center. Um, my path uh, to medicine, I actually started off in electrical and computer engineering. <laughs> I I actually had a career in electrical and computer engineering before I went to medical school. And when I thought about going to medical school, I did like a lot of you do, you decide to volunteer in a medical setting. And I found myself in an emergency department. Um, it was a little community hospital, but I was hooked with the, just the humanity and the stories and the people that we got to see every day. Um, I went to medical school at Washington University in St. Louis and, you know, thought, I was going to be an emergency physician. Uh, my first advisor actually was the chair of the department. So 
kind of had the bug early, but I will say that I then like a lot of people went on that journey of, I wanted to be everything. Um, <laughs> right. I like wanted to be an OBGYN and I wanted to be a surgeon and I, you know, I wanted to be a cardiologist. And so after all of that, I was like, wait a minute, I'm back to my roots because I get to do everything, all those things um, in emergency medicine. So I came back to my senses that I knew I had from the very beginning <laughs> and uh, did my residency in emergency medicine, actually also at WashU uh, in St. Louis. And I stayed there, got involved in education, became uh, an assistant program director, and then uh, worked my way up from there and knew that I wanted to be a program director someday. And when the opportunity came to be the program director at UCLA, I interviewed and here I am. So I moved out to sunny Southern California and it's been great. <laughs> All right, so I'm last um, and my name is Dami, Dami Ogani. I'm one of the associate program directors at Harbor UCLA, also in Los Angeles in the South Bay. Um, I have a really convoluted life story, so I'll give you the abbreviated version, but um, I grew up in Nigeria, uh, went to primary, secondary school in Nigeria, but my parents did locum, so I lived in you know, places my whole life, Saudi Arabia, um, England, um, moved to the U.S., was on the East Coast for most of my undergrad and graduate education. I went to Rutgers in New Jersey and then Columbia for medical school. Um, and in medical school, we didn't really have a set EM rotation until your fourth year, so we just kind of went through, like Rebecca was saying, kind of like, okay, I think I like OB, I think I like psych, I think I like peds, um, and not being sure. And I actually did something weird and decided to take a year off at medical school. because I was like, I think maybe EM is right for me. I did my sub-I, it was like, uh, but I wasn't sure midway through. So uh, I decided midway through um, medical school, midway through my fourth year of medical school, take the year off afterwards. And then I did my sub-I actually at Harbor and I was like, okay, this is it. I'm done. Um, so EM was it from then on. Um, but I did a year off. I went home to Nigeria. I worked as an intern actually for seven and a half months, interviewed during that process and then came back, matched at Harbor. And I've been at Harbor since. I was a resident there. I did global health fellowship at Harbor, per diem at Harbor, and then started at faculty, as faculty about five years ago as the QI director, um, but always been involved in education. Um, so um, became APD about two years ago. And I've been doing that since. Sorry, long story short. <laughs> well, thank you so much for all being here today. We really appreciate you taking the time and I had no idea about any of those stories. So that was awesome. So to start off, we just would like to know what different methods are you guys going to be using this year as far as getting to know and evaluate applicants as application season comes in and interview season comes in? So we have been doing a couple summer sessions on YUCI and those are on our website. If anyone wants to watch them, we have like an alumni session. We have, um, we're having a fellowship session coming up just so people can learn a little bit more about our program because we're kind of a small program, um, only nine per year. So we're not like, you know, we're not super well known. Um, and then for interview season, once interview invites go out, we are going to help organize, coordinate um, medical students can come, can join our virtual conferences um, and see kind of what we do. We do a lot of games, small groups, TVLs, things like that, that we've kind of adopted, uh, adapted for virtual. Um, so once people are invited to interviews, we'll be able to coordinate people doing that until we get to interviews. I'm a little worried about there being too many people considering most of our stuff is small groups. Um, so those are two big ways. We are having some socials. So for our students that we, that rotated with us, so our own students, we had taco Tuesday via zoom. 
where everyone described <laughs> their favorite drink in their taco, their favorite taco. My chief came up with it. It was actually delightful. I wasn't there because it was for the residents and the med students, but apparently it was great. One girl actually like got everything and was like, I thought we were actually making tacos. It was fabulous. Um, <laughs> and she like made it there in front of everyone. Um, so it was, so we're going to try to have some social sessions despite that. Uh, UC Irvine has a policy. We aren't going to be allowed to have any second looks or in-person anything. Um, I assume several other schools here have similar policies just for transparency and to make sure there's no advantages for people who are local or have more means to travel. So everything will be virtual, but we're going to do our best to try to make sure you guys can um, get a feel for the program. So we are doing um, all virtual also. The, um, we are not inviting medical students to our conferences unless they're rotating with us. And because we're not attached to any medical school, we do have a fair number of away rotations at our place right now. And we're working through USC with that. The, um, but what we've, I've talked it over with the chiefs and some of the residents. What we're going to do is the um, night before is um, they're going to have a virtual happy hour. And then we're going to, we're going to do our regular schedule that we do is like, we'll be able to give our introduction over the internet as well as a meeting with our director to talk about benefits. And then they'll attend conference with us and then we'll do virtual interviews. The, um, the residents, we decided, because we're, I don't know about you guys, but like my hospital has like got these strict rules about how many people can be in a room at a time. And so we're doing a RSVP system for virtual lunch and we can have, we can get up to 18, only 18 residents into our conference room and we're having people RSVP whether or not they'd like to have virtual lunch. And then our hospital makes us order box lunches to for each member and then they sit in front of the camera and have a, a lunch with the interviewees and that's how we're trying to get get it out there the other thing we did was is our marketing did a little um introduction to Kawea that's on our website now and then the residents are doing some i hate to say this although um, president trump doesn't like it they're doing a few little TikTok um videos so that they can watch the the day before <laughs> so so we're actually doing a bunch of different uh, events kind of like leading up to interview season. So of course, a lot of us are on these type of things. Um, but also we're having some specific UCLA ask me anything uh, type of events. Um, so anybody can RSVP. We're doing those through Zoom. We're going to have those with program leadership with our residency. As we kind of get into interview season, we're actually going to have some sessions that focus on some of the things um, that are subspecialties in emergency medicine. We have focus in like critical care and social emergency medicine research, et cetera. So people can kind of get to know um, us and the faculty that are involved in some of those other uh, subspecialty areas as well uh, during interview season. So the conference, uh, like the conferencing, we we're going to put some samples of our conference on the web so people can kind of see what we do uh, in conference, but inter interviewees, people who are invited to interviews will be able to participate in our conference. Um, and our residents are doing a bunch of different socials with um, our rotators and our sub eyes. And then we also have um, an advanced EM virtual rotation as well uh, that you can apply to through VSAS for credit uh, that we have a couple sessions for and there's still some openings for that. And that's focused on advanced topics in emergency medicine. Um, and it's a bunch of different small groups with residents and faculty at UCLA. 
So we have a bunch of different uh, er areas and ways in which you can get to know uh, us and get to know our program. And at Harbor, I'm gonna um, mirror some of the things they've said. We're gonna do a series of series, I'm sorry, series of webinars, um, kind of talking about why Harbor, talking about different subspecialties or different specific aspects of life at Harbor. So life at Harbor with the residents, for instance, education at Harbor, um, research at Harbor, pediatrics at Harbor, and those, that webinar series is in planning at the moment. We're just um, ironing out the dates. We'll have those out um, via the various listservs, CORD, um, AM, ETC. Um, we're, this is pre-interview season. And then during the interview season, normally we do them on Thursdays, but um, the upside of COVID is now we can kind of spread them um, over the course of the week to allow more faculty flexibility. Um, so it'll probably be kind of like nicely spaced out over time to more accommodate our students' uh, schedules. Um, if it's on a Thursday, our conferences are on Thursday mornings, um, we definitely would be happy to have you guys join in conference. We have a specific link that we can send out. Um, and that usually is part of our interview day. If unable to, we do have our conferences recorded now because they're over Zoom, so we're happy to kind of share that with you as well. Um, and then we'll be doing virtual socials, um, not through Zoom. It's going to be, I think, through Remo. Um, and it's a way you kind of kind of skip around and kind of join different little small group discussions um, in a virtual platform. Um, so that'll be during interview season. And then we're also working on potentially um, other opportunities for students to kind of get to know us better. Um, we're working on a virtual tour at the moment to kind of get you a sense of what the ED looks like. Um, we're doing our recruitment video at the moment. So you can kind of get a flavor of Harbor as well. And um, yeah. All these things are work in progress. Yeah, I guess I would add we do have virtual tour. We're working on virtual tours of both of our places and uh, we're putting a lot of our stuff. Through. I'm sure a lot of the other programs are putting their stuff through social media. So following us on Instagram, that's probably the main one. We are also on Twitter. Um, so follow it if you're interested. I think in any program, my advice would be seek out what their social media channels are because um, all the programs across the country are really pushing out this stuff on their social media. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and, and, you know, obviously the website, the website will have every, you know, sort of the, the static stuff on there, but if, uh, just a general, you know, a general advising advice, <laughs> go ahead and, and seek out all the social media channels because that's going to be your main source of, of information. And a lot of times then you can look at what the other residents are doing because all the residents are also on their social media associated with exactly. that too. Exactly. Let me second that. It's everything is virtual. So people like me who don't know this stuff will learn it this year. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. And just as a side note for everyone that's listening in, we are AAM RSA is going to try and have a, a page on our website that has the links to all the programs that are doing virtual tours and so we'll kind of get in contact with the program directors to get that information. And another side note, uh, Lauren Lampter, you see her on here because she is the president of our medical student council and she will be uh, monitoring the questions in the chat. So if you guys have questions, go ahead and feel free to put them in there and we'll, we'll get them uh, answered if they haven't been already. And so I know, you know, we're all on the West Coast, all of us are down here, but for people who are maybe on the East Coast or Midwest, normally they would potentially do, you know, a rotation with you guys, come out here, but how can they show their interest in your program right now if they don't have any regional connection? I think that's a great question. As somebody who came from the East Coast, I know what you're talking about. It's a little bit nerve wracking because people wonder like, 
what we did everything there. Why would you want to come out? Um, and I think the best way is to um, kind of reach out individually to kind of explain where you're coming from, what your ties are, what your interests are. Um, and if you have specific interests in that program, for instance, I'm going to use Harbor as an example. If you have a specific interest in a county program, letting us know that interest and then demonstrating that interest in your application, I think it's going to be the biggest um, way to kind of say, want to come there and make us kind of look at your application. In general, though, we take people from all over. Again, I was from the East Coast. We have people from Boston. We have people from like Philly, um, all over. So it usually doesn't preclude you from coming in, but you can always feel free to express your interest by either contacting us, um, Madonna Fernandez, who's our PD, who's not on here, unfortunately, today because she's out of town, um, but just kind of reaching out to us and kind of letting us know about your interests um, in the program specifically. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm not, like, I, ooh, I'm not from California. So, I mean, it's not like I, I don't know. You don't have to convince me that you potentially would want to move to a place where it's 75 degrees and sunny most of the time and we don't have snow. So, uh, you know, but I think that a lot of it is exactly what Dami said is, you know, what's your specific interest in our program or any program for that matter? Again, from the advising standpoint, you know, it's like each program, the great thing about emergency medicine for all of you guys is every program is going to give you an excellent education and really it's all about fit and how do I see myself there and what do I think that I need to be a successful emergency physician and each of us offer something a little bit different um, in that regard and so I think taking a look and doing your research looking at the program and then letting us know exactly that what's your exact interest how do you see what we're offering to you, how we can make you successful um, in what it is your goals that you want going forward in the future, I think is the most important thing that you can do um, in, in trying to let a program know what your interests are. And you can either put it in your personal statement, um, you know, you can make multiple ones if you're really interested, or you can reach out to us individually. We all have our emails on, you know, on the internet. You can, you can let us know what that is. And then just to follow up on that a little bit, we did get a question from the chat that asked if you thought, I mean, I think you guys kind of touched on this, but do you expect there to be more regional matching this year than there has been in years past? Or do you think there's gonna be more matching from the students that rotate at your facility or have had the opportunity to do, you know, a virtual rotation with you or something along those lines? Oh, I, I think all of us wish we could predict what's gonna happen this year. <laughs> <laughs> We've never done anything like this, and uh, um, and I have to say to you, I don't know about the other program directors, but most of the people that match in my program, I I am extremely happy with, and it's not like I'm going out and hiring people off the street. I'm actually hiring a bunch of medical students, are <laughs> people who finish medical school. So I I think we're willing to. Um, interview everybody who meets our requirements and that will match them based on the on how successful we think they're going to be in the program. Yeah, I, I think there's, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I do, I have no idea. I honestly, I mean, usually it's kind of just widespread. We get people from all over, a lot of our sub-eyes, but a lot of people who didn't rotate here, I anticipate it will be the same, but again, hard to predict. COVID has thrown a wrench in like everything we're everything. doing. Yeah, we, we traditionally have people that come from, co you know, everywhere, coast to coast. Um, but I, yeah, who knows? I, I know that this is like super anxiety provoking for everybody that is 
uh, interviewing, but just try to remember, I try to reframe this to myself. Like we've never done this before either. <laughs> Y'all have never done this before either. So, you know, I think we don't know. I mean, we, you know, we don't know, is everybody going to be from home or is everybody, you know, so, um, but just try to remember that everybody is sort of coming from the same place. And sometimes that can be a little, bring the anxiety down a little bit. Like nobody has an advantage. Everybody is doing the exact same thing. So. Yeah. I don't think anyone knows. I, I think there will be some programs that might pick what feels like a safer course where it's the people who rotated with them. I mean, we always, that was never the tendency, but when someone rotates with you and does very well, you tend to recruit those people. And now with virtual interviewing, I don't know how programs are going to handle it, but I think there will also be a lot of students who stay in their home institution if given the option, because that's what they know. I mean, you know, we're talking about us doing virtual interviews and not being able to get a field of applicants, but I feel terrible for students who, like the, the, the gestalt and like going to a program and seeing how you feel around 20 of those residents and all those faculty. And that was huge. And I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to replicate that for you guys in a virtual interview. Um, so I don't know that that will come from our end. I suspect there will be a lot of students that will stay with what they know. Definitely. And I think that comes down to maybe like you you guys were mentioning in the very beginning being able to come to those virtual events that you guys are hosting or the you know mixers beforehand and things like that so we have a question on here about i know a lot of people have questions about personal statements and if this year they're going to be more heavily relied on just due to the fact that you can't get to know people as well and the second part to that is do you have strong opinions one way or another if students write about uh covid in their personal statements Um, I love that we all have dogs, by the way. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> dog has made an appearance. Tony, where's yours? <laughs> Mine's at least eating his dinner. <laughs> I'm um, the only one without pets. I'm sorry. Oh, well, <laughs> all of our animals are getting jealous of all of you applicants. Um, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. What was the question? I got distracted. Personal statements. Um, personal statements. I, so I always glance through them basically to kind of see if there's anything that catches my eye and to make sure you have a command of the English language. Like that's kind of what I use personal statements for. I don't know that I'm going to read them that much more closely this year. I always skim them like when there's an interesting story or something different. Like there was a guy who literally did underwater welding and um, was a an engineer for drag racing. And it was nowhere else in his app. But then when you looked at his personal statement, there was like one paragraph. And I was just like, that's awesome. Um, so I look through it for things like that, like really interesting life experiences, past things, things that make you, um, that will contribute to our diversity. So I glance through all of them. Um, I don't know that they're going to be more important this year. I think the non-slow letter, well, the non-group slow letters will be more important than previously because we always used to have two groups. Wow. Slow, we would deal with those and we're not going to have that this year. Everyone's going to have one. Um, so I think that will become more important. But I don't think the personal statement necessarily will. Step scores, probably comparable for us, or at least for my program, step two is always more important than step one. I care more about whether you have the clinical medicine than the Krebs cycle. So, um, and then since CS is canceled, but then again, as long as you passed CS, I never really cared about that anyway. So I'll defer to the other program directors. I have to say that you, I think the students would be surprised how much everybody's 
personal statements sound a lot like everybody else's. And that it's true, there are a, there are a few that stand out, like Dr. Tui said, but I don't think the personal statements are gonna carry any more weight this year than in the past. The, we're, we're not thinking of changing our step scores um, requirements and we're, we're not gonna lower them. I don't think they're gonna pay, play a bigger um, role either. The, I always, I look a lot of what Dr. Tui does is I look a lot into the work history of the person, the other things that they've done while they were in medical school, how well-rounded they are, what their interests are, that, that, that kind of thing. And so, and then you put it all together and, and decide what you're gonna, who you're gonna rank. I was gonna say, um, the personal statement for me is also, it's most helpful, I think, if there's something on the application that isn't really well explained elsewhere. For instance, like there was a, um, a grade that wasn't the best, and then the personal statement kind of expands on that and is like, oh, well, I was sick, or this was going on in my family. I find it really helpful for that, because sometimes there's no other place to capture that. Um, but otherwise, um, unless it kind of stands out in some way, like the other, um, other PDs have said, um, I'm not sure if it's going to be more or less weighed than we usually do um, in uh, previous years. Uh, really do, sorry, in previous years. Um, yeah. And then trying to think, what was the other question about um, step scores? Um, I think like um, the other PDs also said, like it's the whole application that we're looking at. Like if you did nothing in medical school and your step score is 280, um, it's kind of a little bit like, oh, of course you had so much time to study because you did nothing else. But if you have a step score of, I don't know, 230 and you're like the leader of like all these groups and you've done a lot of work in the community and things like that, I think that kind of is weighted more. Um, than mm -hmm. just like a number. Um, and again, demonstrating improvement is also a big thing. Who knows, something could have happened during step one and then that was taken away. Step two is phenomenal. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a holistic uh, view as opposed to just one number being the only thing that determines whether you come somewhere. Um, the patient population and like kind of the program and fit and all that kind of stuff also do factor in. Yeah, not. I guess not a lot to add except for the fact that kind of looking at your application in general, it should, when somebody reads it, it should be a holistic representation of who you are, who you, what your interests are, what your accomplishments are. So when you think about your personal statement, if there's something you need to address, you should put it in there. We really do. We look at sort of, are you well-rounded? Do you have other interests besides, have you been involved in medical school? Do you have any leadership skills? Do you have work experience? All of those things are really important in kind of evaluating um, uh, an applicant as a whole. And I don't think that that's really gonna change. I think the one thing that will change obviously is everybody will probably have one uh, traditional slow and then you know, sort of these other off service, the Oslo or whatever we're calling it these days. <laughs> um, so, you know, how you perform clinically, especially um, in your fourth year and those kind of more intense sub-I type of experiences really say a lot and they're really important. So obviously doing well in those rotations is very important. But, you know, it's like I don't look at just a step score and I don't look at just this or just that. It's really the whole thing put together and does it make sense? And Yes, improvement is important. And so if something happened on step one and you do so much better on step two and you can explain that to me and you've done all of these other things, that's so much more important to me than just one thing, right? Um, yep. And I agree also, please spell check and grammar check your um, <laughs> personal statement 
Y'all would be surprised. You'd be Fair, surprised. And, and if you use um, Grammarly, that just shows that you're, you're IT knowledgeable. <laughs> yeah. So please do that. I mean, you know, whatever you write, make sure that it's proper and correct. That's, that's what we're going to see from you. So do that too. That's my other piece of advice. <laughs> so you mentioned it a little bit and I just was hoping you guys might speak to it a little bit more. So obviously guidelines are one slow from, you know, an EM rotation, but can you talk a little bit about this O slow and should we have one? Should we have two? How many, and you know, what are kind of, what are you looking for in that and how many should we have? I'll say at least one, right? I mean, I think it would be nice for you to have two sort of letters of evaluation. So you have one traditional slow and then you have this other O slow. And I know that some of you out there may also be in um, programs that have more than one rotation associated with their, their medical school. So Dami and I actually happen to be in that situation. So UCLA students, we have two completely different residencies. Actually there's three, because there's also current and Bakersfield, our residents, I mean, our medical students as home rotations can do more than one. Uh, so we know that there's different variations throughout the country. And I'll just say from the medical student perspective, I'm not looking, I will not quote unquote, you know, penalize anybody for, you know, kind of pursuing the, the options that are available to them. So I know there's a lot of angst out there about that as well. So I just want to put that to rest. I think most, pro there's been a lot of discussion nationally most program directors are like you know if that's what is available but I think most of us would like to see at least one slow and then I would say at least one oh slow whatever it is that you have um, that's available to you and the other thing is if there's an EM I mean I know everyone's going to be getting their group slow but if there's another EM faculty who knows you in a different capacity outside of clinical, I would get a slow from them. I've actually been telling my students to just mostly try to get EM. So like their group slow and then another faculty member who was the EMIG faculty you know, person and they were leadership or knows them in a different capacity that maybe isn't gonna be covered in the group slow. Because EM faculty are going to tend to know what we're looking for more than a surgeon. Like, unless you did research for three years with that surgeon and that surgeon knows you really well on all of these other characteristics in your leadership and your other abilities, I would not get a letter from someone who knew you for four weeks on a trauma rotation. I, I, I'm not going to find that terribly useful. Um, I'd rather you get one from, you know, an EM faculty member who maybe isn't part of that group slow or maybe is, but knows you in a different capacity. Um, but otherwise I kind of agree. I think we're all expecting one group slow and then one or two something else letters. I have to agree with that, except I will tell you there's one letter that stood out for me in the years is it was from a, it was somebody on a IMVA um, rotation and the, um, it was in the middle of winter and there was a big snowstorm and the medical students still showed up and the intern called in sick and the senior had to go to clinic and the medical student was able to run the service by himself according to the physician that was on and I thought that's remarkable. I'll take him. So, but if you have that kind of experience, then yes, you should get it from one of your rotations. If it's just run of the mill, like the patients liked him and he did the work and stuff like that, then I don't recommend it. <laughs> I, think, I was just going to say one Oslo and at least one Oslo and then one traditional slow um, and you'd be good to go. 
And then one question that was just brought up in the chat about that Oslo is if you do say like an ultrasound rotation or something along those lines, toxicology would that normally doesn't offer a slow, a normal slow, could you get an Oslo from that or should it be completely non-EM related? So the subspecialty ones, there's there's already was a slow for that. It's not called an Oslo, it's a, it's a non-group slow. So it's a separate form. So there's an Oslo, there's a slow, and then there's a group slow. So it's a separate thing. So if you have an EM faculty, they should know. And if you're not sure, ask them to have talk to your ask the faculty to talk to the program director and they should be able to send them the form. What she said. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And then so more uh, questions from the chat here. Would you prefer students reach out to you after receiving an interview or before to express interest? Mm. So I, I guess I would say, um, give us a minute. So uh, <laughs> recognize that this year we don't get access. So you guys, I think is, it's opening September something for you guys to put your stuff in here. We don't get to see that at all until October 21st, right? And so that is much later than we normally do. Um, and so um, please don't email us on October 22nd and say, did you see my application? Can I have an interview? Because, you know, realize that all of us are like just seeing it. We're just screening through it. So I would say give us a few weeks so that we can go through and screen and start to think about our interviews after a few weeks, if you don't hear anything and you're really, really interested in an interview, I think it's okay to send an inquiry. So I think, you know, if you haven't heard about an interview, but just, just give us just a little minute. So that'd be my advice. <laughs> I would say second week of November earliest. Give us some time. <laughs> Probably more like mid, late November. Yes, we do like rolling applications, um, rolling applica send out rolling application or invites. I'm sorry, my brain is slow. Um, so if you don't hear from us after you kind of heard that you've, some people have heard some things back, then you can feel free to contact us. But again, give us, give us a little bit of time, please, please. <laughs> All right, perfect. And then what, so you kind of already touched on this a little bit when we were talking about applications, personal statements, step scores, but one of the questions was, what does a standout candidate look like to you? And this year, you know, again, this year being so different than all the other years, what does that look like? And what are you looking for? What should they highlight? I think oh. people covered this a little bit already. Um, I think a lot of it's fit. EM is very different than applying to other specialties. Um, like we're not just all numbers. It's not just going to be like who has the most research and who's got the 270 on their steps. That's not what we look for. Um, so it's fit, it's life experiences, it's bringing diverse experiences to our program, whether that's, you know, I, I matched a guy who's 40 and he spent 15 years in the military. And like, so that's just something different. It brings a different perspective to my program. Um, and that has value. So I really like life experiences. I really value previous jobs. Um, I don't really want to be your first boss in their president. I mean, I will be, we'll manage, we'll get through. Um, but I really like people. So I always tell applicants, if you were a waitress when you were 16, that goes on your heiress. That matters. That direct, that is directly, that is EM with food. <laughs> if you could be a waitress, <laughs> you're going to be a good ER doc um, or waiter, I'm not trying to be sexist. Um, so I, I like seeing any work experience. I like leadership. Um, 
within med school. I like seeing that you did something else. Like Donnie said, I want to see that you did something other than study during med school. Um, because again, that's that multitasking ability that I think really is important for emergency medicine. I think the only thing that will be different this year, it won't happen on the invite side. It's going to happen on the interview side where I'm trying to get to know someone via virtual interview instead of in person. And my residents can't sit down and have lunch with you guys. And we can't have a social because my residents had a huge impact, have a huge impact on that decision and how those, so, like, it's not that we're judging you guys, but it was like, oh, we got along really well with so-and-so. And that person bumps 20 spots up on the list. They may only have a 220, but my residents loved them going up. And I'm going to lose that this year. Um, but otherwise, I think the rest of the application where, you know, as Dami said, it's really holistic. We're looking at everything. It's not some math problem for us. I, I totally agree with her. Nothing to add. I guess my, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Rebecca. <laughs> well, I was just, I think part of it is, you know, how do you, are, how are you a standout applicant? Be true to yourself too, right? So know what it, be, take some time and really know what it is that you're looking for because we're all from awesome programs and we're all a little bit different and that is what's great about it and that's what's okay about it, right? So, um, you know, I think everybody's sort of looking for this mystical, like, what's the best program with a quote, best reputation or whatever that means. So I don't actually know what that means because all of us are excellent programs. I guarantee you, we, we graduate wonderful residents who go on to go to whatever job of their dreams is. And again, that looks different for everybody too. We, you know, so I think being an, a standout applicant means that you're true to yourself. You know what you want. You've done some research. And then we look at you as a picture, but you also look at us too and can speak to that. And so um, I think spending a little bit of time figuring that out will really um, serve you well. I was just going to say something very similar, just knowing kind of the programs out there and kind of what they do as well and knowing what you would like um, is going to be a big thing. Um, a lot of us, um, I think on the other side, as the medical student, you're like, as Rebecca said, looking for the perfect place that's going to have every single thing. And at this point in your career, it's kind of like, it depends on you. Like what you like may be different from what somebody else wants out of a program versus what somebody else wants. So knowing that and kind of, kind of tapering where you apply towards that um, is going to be key this year. So don't, don't, don't worry. It's, it's, it's you. It's you, you. So think about what you want. This is like your training. All right, great. And then another question from the chat regarding IMGs. They just were wondering, it says, in a general application cycle, how can you address some of the concerns that PDs typically have with this student population? I'm not sure I understand exactly the question, like the question. Um, I think that we, I think maybe just touching on, you know, again, this year, what can IMGs do, you know, whatever concerns that you may have with them or how can they address those concerns prior to interview season? Uh, one of the, I know that we stereotype a lot, but for the IMGs, it always, it always occurs to the program director, why did they need to know, need to go to an international medical school instead of a US medical school? And so if they had some difficulty in that area, whether it be grades or something else, or that they really should address that in their personal statement so that we have an idea when we read through the application, whether or not we consider that to be um, a difficulty that they're still having or that they've overcome. 
and and I think that I think that's the biggest I think that's the biggest thing about um, about applying from an international medical um, school. For me, I just have a harder time comparing students. You know, I know I know more what to expect from U.S. medical schools. I know what their slows look like. I know what their grades look like. Um, so it's a little harder for me to compare the IMGs. We look at all of our applications. Um, I interview at least a handful of IMGs every year. Um, so I don't know. I don't think there's anything that's going to be different this year. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a little easier for us to compare, you know, LCME, U.S. medical schools, and then I think we try to compare the, you know, DO schools with those, which are a little different. Um, it's not necessarily that anything's bad, it's just harder for us to compare. I was going to say exactly those, those same kind of things. It's, I, you know, I think from sort of looking at it, we look at all of our applications, again, holistically, no matter where they come from, and so I think that, um, that will be continue to be true in this cycle too. There's not going to be any difference um, in that regard. And so um, just maybe I, I really liked actually the, the advice that Dr. Herman get, gave to address any issues potentially so that we just know what those are. That's really awesome advice. And so, but I think from the sort of the screening and the looking at and inviting process, we look at all of them again, holistically, we don't have, you know, this check, no, yes, no, whatever. So I think that um, just doing all the things that we've already talked about, it holds true for IMGs as well. Same. <laughs> all right, great. So one fun question that came up, I think, is, is there anything that you are excited to try out this year when getting to know applicants, being that it is so different? Is there something that you're looking forward to or excited about I know you someone had mentioned the taco Tuesday which was like that's so cool so is there anything that you guys are really excited about this year I, um, it's hard to judge I'm looking forward to seeing if the virtual stuff works like arranging the that that the happy hour that because they all have we always do the pre-interview dinner and now they're not going to be able to do that and they always sit together at lunch and we're not going to be able to do that my big take on it is, is I want to know if, if both sides are just as satisfied about it as if it was in person, you know, that's what I'm interested in. I'm excited to try. <laughs> this is very random and nerdy, but we bought these like, um, music classes to do our virtual tour. We actually got the idea from um, a UCLA session that we did a couple months ago. Um, that's going to be what we use for the tour. So you can see through people's eyes and be excited to see if that works out. Um, and to see if this whole virtual thing actually pays off for both applicants and us. More so for the applicants. I know it's really stressful, but looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Are you recording in advance, Dami? Or are you guys like actually just wearing them for each interview day and walking over there? I think we're going to try to record it. We'll sort of test it out and do like one test tour and see if we can record it. If it doesn't, then we might have to do like a walking tour on every interview day. We'll see. It's still in process. It's just okay. kind of like, huh, I never thought about these glasses. It's genius. I wish I did. <laughs> we got the, our hospital a 360 camera and then they walked around oh. the ER so, like they, so that when you're watching it, you can like grab it and drag around and look. I don't know that it helps. Most CRs look very similar, guys. There's some curtains, there's some beds, <laughs> but it was, it's entertaining. But we'll see. Yeah, we're, uh, 
Oh, I mean, we're trying to think of ways to kind of make it contextualize sort of, you know, how do you have a happy hour and you're not in the same space, but you're all together. Uh, so we're, we're still trying to think about the creative ways to do it. But yeah, I think I'm interested to find out, is it satisfactory from the applicant standpoint? Because no matter, you know, it is great to be there in person, but I, I understand the economic impact of that too. So, you know, I mean, going forward, Will this be an option that's satisfactory to you know to you guys so you don't have to spend thousands of dollars in flying cross country? So I'm kind of interested to see, you know, is is that really gonna be something that that sticks or we can go back to the old way? But um I, I am gonna miss our dinners and our socials and that kind of stuff. So um trying to figure out ways that we can make that feel a little bit more personal um and real. We're still in our creativity lab thinking about it <laughs> a little Thank bit of time. i think all of us are we're still working on it <laughs> i think we're all gonna be working on it well in interview season it'll be like attempt a flop attempt b so if you have the virtual happy hours is it a bring your own drink is that is that how it's going to be set up yeah. like bring your own tacos yep. I, have you guys, we've done that with our faculty since the, we have such restrictions on our meetings that the, on Friday evening, sometimes like six to eight of the faculty would get together with their significant others and we would all bring our own appetizers and drinks to the computer. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're looking at some of that stuff for um, maybe sending all, all of our applicants like a recipe or something you know what I mean something so we could all mm -hmm. have oh, sort of the same thing together but apart uh we're thinking about some stuff like that so we'll see I don't want to give away we all did, my um, secrets <laughs> we did like a uber eats for our interview for our intern welcoming because we couldn't do an intern welcome party that we usually do it worked out really well we did like a virtual kind of happy hour and then sent them food and it's good so we'll see if that works too I don't know yeah, we did that for our for our graduation too. We had everybody have their own DoorDash, and so. Oh, yeah. All right, great. And then before we have our final thoughts, just one more question from the chat: Do you have any advice for applicants who come from orphan program, orphan programs, or who typically rely more heavily on the opportunity to do an away rotation? People, are they? being able to get away rotations because i know that's very difficult are they having difficulty with that i was gonna say we have a, a policy at ucla we're not taking um any outside medical students unless they are from an orphan program and then we do have an exception from our institution so that would cover our program and also dami's program because we're the same medical school um and i i think that it would i think uci is probably the same same way right um, so and uh, USC so, is the same way yeah so I think uh, if you are having that issue uh, reach out to some of the these are these programs and uh, contact us because we are able to help you uh, do a rotation uh, if you're from an orphan program so that would be my advice there is a lot of us um, are able to accept students from those type of programs exactly I would, I would reach out. Perfect. So if there was one piece of, piece of advice that you could give students applying this year, I know that it's uncharted territory. 
sorry, but what would it be, what would be like your one piece of advice to all of us? Um, the big I, thing for me is <laughs> whatever stress you may be feeling, we're also in the same boat. So again, it's uncharted territory for all of us. So don't worry too much. Whatever things that are kind of making you nervous, like, oh, will this affect me? Know that like we understand where you're coming from. Know that we understand it's a weird situation. So um, we won't hold things against you or kind of be like, oh, she didn't get or he didn't get this. Like we get where you're coming from. So um, let that reassure you a little bit at least. And don't panic. Remember, we all know there's other things going on. We're all dealing with COVID. I mean, there's, it's going to be a weird year. We don't know what's going to happen. We're as lost as you guys are. Um, I would say really, really for your own sanity, try to stick to the like goal of, you know, the magic number of 12 to match. So if you're, you think one or two programs that you interview with aren't going to be your cup of tea, you might not even rank them. Fine. 14. Court, I think said 12 to 17 interviews, like absolute 17, absolute max. And I only say this because you guys are going to be so bored by the end if you guys try to do more. <laughs> like, now that there's no financial limitation, I can totally see some students being like, I can do lots of interviews. You know, I could do one for I could do UCLA in the morning and UCI in the afternoon. <laughs> but like, you're going to hate it. It's going to be terrible. And by the end, you might have a program you really like at the end. It's like your 25th and you're going to be so over it that you're not going to make a good impression. And now you've shot yourself in the foot. So pick your 12 to 17 programs that you're actually interested in and turn down the others. I know it is very um, heartwarming to be wanted and to get interviews, but just say, oh, I got it. They wanted me and then decline <laughs> and do your seven, 12 to 17 that you're, you know, that you need. 17 would be really high. I, I only did 10 back in the day and I was so over it by my 10th one, guys. Like even virtually, this is going to get old. You're going to be so tired of answering why EM and why this program. Trust me. Mm -hmm. uh, I totally agree with that. I think being really reasonable with the number of programs that you'll get, but I would say, you know, I don't know, be enthusiastic, be flexible and be willing to take on a challenge, which probably summarizes emergency medicine, right? So um, if anything else, I feel like in this specialty, we're like really attuned to rolling with it. And so that's what we're going to do in this interview season. And I think that that is probably as much as you can, uh, think about doing that for yourself too. And like everybody said, this is all new for all of us. We are MacGyvering our way through it, just like everybody else. Uh, and so uh, just keep that, keep that in mind. Well, I have to add, I like Dr. Tui's um, recommendation. You know what, think about what's important to you before you decide where you're gonna to inter ask for interviews at. And it like if it's totally like thousands of miles away from your family and family's important, then don't apply there. So check out the program, know what's important to you, do your interviews, stick, stick to the 12 to 17, and then just be yourself. 100% agree. <laughs> Perfect. And on that note, so that we can get a little bit more of a feel for your guys' programs for everyone that's listening in. Could you guys share just a little bit about your program and what makes it unique? And then also there is a question about what mentorship looks like at your program. So what makes it unique, a little bit about it. And then if, you know, mentorship, if you guys want to touch on that. So we're a fairly small program, um, but a little older, but medium-sized hospital. 
Um, I like to joke we have an identity disorder. So we are technically a community hospital, but we are at an academic center and we serve as the county hospital because there is no county hospital in Orange County. Um, so we have an identity issue. So you get a, a little bit of all. We have a very, very diverse, very underserved patient population um, mixed in with like people from Newport Beach who just want to go to the tertiary care center. But for the most part, I spend half my day speaking Spanish. So I, we work with a very underserved population, which people don't think of when they think of Irvine. Um, we have academic resources. We have a lot of research. We've got grants and things like that. Um, and then we're still a community hospital. So we, you know, we will, you, you will be pushed. We clear the waiting room every night. Um, our metrics matter and our hospital holds us to them. Um, so you're going to see a lot of patients. You're going to learn them very quickly. You're going to learn to get them dispoed. Um, we're, because we're small, I mean, this is kind of becomes a cliche and everyone says it, but we're very much family. Um, everyone knows everyone's business, but it's out of love. Um, <laughs> and it's good because if someone's going through something hard, everyone tends to know, usually they told them themselves and everyone kind of understands if there's, you know, they're struggling on shift or things like that. Um, you know, all my residents have my cell phone number. I've gotten texts at three in the morning about sorts of, all sorts of random things. And my residents have no problem contacting me about that. Um, so we're very informal here. We have about 20 faculty with our 27 residents. So it, on shift, it is a one-to-one -one mentorship clinically and then off shift, um, all of our residents, we have families to kind of help you get oriented when you first start and find mentors, but everyone finds their own mentors. Usually they find more than one. Um, and it just kind of happens naturally because we are relatively small. Uh, okay, I'll go next. So um, I, I, ours is a community hospital. It's a healthcare district hospital. It's one of the few left in California. It's not a county hospital. So we take all comers from the uninsured through the business people, the lawyers that are and things like that in our area because we're the county seat. That means Visalia has a lot more um, resources than some of the surrounding area. It's the only hospital in about 60 miles. And so the, um, we're the only stroke center, we're the only open cath um, lab for 24 hours a day, and we're a level three trauma. There are, the reason why we want to go up to level two, but we're working on the resources for that. But we get all kind we get all kinds of trauma. It just depends on whether or not it stays, depending on what specialties we have. Our hospital is like 600 and some beds. We have 39 residents, and um, we are affiliated with USC. So the thing about it is, is we we understand all the academic requirements of being a residency and are able to provide those, like ultrasound, research, things like that, and, and we do that. But again, we're like Dr. Tui's hospital. We're a community hospital and productivity is important. And all the faculty belongs to a private group. And so, yes, you, your first year, you can be a little laid back, but you're gonna learn productivity while you're with us. You get lots of procedures. There aren't that many um, residencies. We only have six residencies there. And so you're gonna do all your own, um, you're gonna, every other day, you might get the chance to do a thoracotomy or you're gonna do all your um, fracture and dislocation reductions and things like that. And that's what our hospital has to offer because of that. Oh, and as mentorship. So we do these things called advice. I like how Dr. Joey says we're very family oriented. We have advisor families. And in our, in our families, 
uh, like I'm ahead of the, uh, the family. I have a, a big brother and then a, a junior resident. And then I always have a little sister, or a little um, brother in it. Plus we have a nurse. And originally we used to ask them if, oh, you'll be the um, aunts and uncles. And they go, we're not that old. We want to be cousins. So when, so we have, we have nurses as cousins and then we have scribes because for scribes that are interested in furthering their career and they join our um, group also. So we have these advisor families that we um, see each other on a regular basis. I guess I'll go next. So, um, so at UCLA, uh, at our program, we are split between uh, our academic hospital, which is Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center, which is the academic center of the David Geffen School of Medicine. So, and it actually sits on the main UCLA campus. Um, and then 50% of the time they work at our county hospital. There's three county hospitals in Los Angeles. Uh, so we work at all of you UCLA Medical Center, which is actually in the northern uh, part of Los Angeles County. So they do that. And then also we have a, a community uh, rotation affiliation with Antelope Valley Hospital, which is actually way up north um, in the high desert, uh, which is, so they work our residents work at the academic center, the county hospital, and then also at the community hospital in Antelope Valley is very busy, has over 110, I think that this year they have like 120 to 130,000 patient visits a year. So our residents get to work in a bunch of different settings with a multitude of different resources, depending on where, uh, where they're working that day and that time, um, all the way from, of course, at UCLA, we see all of our own patients, but have access to um, a lot of subspecialty care. We have transplant there and um, et cetera, um, ECMO and all of, all of those type of things. And then when you work at the county hospital, you have those resources. And then when you work at Antelope Valley, our residents are pretty much the only residents in the whole hospital. So they respond to all of the codes that are in the hospital and do all the different uh, procedures uh, and all the resuscitations. We are a level one trauma center at, at Reagan. At all of you, we have surgery that is there, but we respond to any trauma that comes to our emergency department. And then Antelope Valley is a level two uh, trauma center. So our residents get a really wide range of uh, practice um, settings and um, ability to kind of, and for better or for worse, all different EMRs. So they get to learn how to <laughs> document and do in all different types of systems. So um, they are really, um, really facile and flexible when they, when they graduate. Uh, from our program. From the mentorship standpoint, um, of course, we're an academic program, so we have a lot of people who are interested in a bunch of different areas within emergency medicine, everything from education to social emergency medicine, research, ultrasound, critical care. So we have a wide variety of fellowships and faculty that have interest in uh, subspecialty areas of emergency medicine. From the mentorship standpoint, every class is assigned to an APD, so that follows them kind of throughout um, their residency training. So really that level of mentorship, but every, uh, every resident also has a faculty member mentor that they choose that's outside of residency leadership that they get matched up with that m matches some of their interests. And then we also have resident families. So everybody has their big sibs and little sibs. And what's really nice is we have a really strong alumni network and these resident families continue on. So back in, you know, in the times when we got to go to national meetings and stuff, when we would go there, there'd be these multi-generational uh, resident families um, all the way from graduates who graduated a long time ago and traced their family tree uh, all the way down. So there's a lot of different um, areas for mentorship in our program. 
and I'll go last. <laughs> um, so we're Harbor UCLA. Um, we are primarily one of the other, we're one of the three county hospitals in Los Angeles. We're in the South Bay, um, which is close to the beach cities, Redondo and such. Um, it's a four-year program. We have 16 residents per class, so 64. So it's a big program, but as the other lady said, it actually feels like a family. Despite the fact that there's so many of us, you still know each other's business, again, for better or for worse. Um, and as Shannon said, it's, it's love. Um, if people are having any issues, they usually have no issues kind of letting us know. Um, it's a busy emergency department. Um, COVID kind of took a hit on everybody, but like now it's picking back up. So um, usually have a waiting room, busy, people do wait. Again, it's a county center, um, but we have um, all the resources you need. Uh, we're a little one trauma center, um, peace critical care center, adult critical care center, obviously, STEM receiving center, um, all those kind of things. In addition, our residents rotate at outside facilities. So one of our, our EM rotations are in Long Beach. So one of them is St. Mary's in the second year, um, which is um, community setting, mostly insured, um, but again, similar position population to Harbor. Then the other one is Long Beach Memorial, which our UCI residents actually rotate through too. Um, also busy community center, they get a lot of procedures, things of that nature. Um, we also do ICU rotations elsewhere. So we're at the VA in Westwood, um, right across from UCLA. Um, we also do the Cedars um, ICU. Um, so our residents are there in their third and fourth year. We're kind of phasing that into the third year as opposed to doing it in the fourth year. Um, so lots of opportunities to be all over LA. It means there's a lot of driving, but it's a lot of good learning. Um, it's also kind of a unique hybrid of the county and academic setting. We have a lot of people at Harbor who are interested in research, ultrasound, PEM, have a lot of fellowship in those things. Um, EMS is another big one. So it's EMS, PEM, education, um, ultrasound, research, I'm missing a couple. Um, so the people who are interested in furthering their um, training afterwards, we have those fellowships to offer them. Um, Mentorship wise, um, as Rebecca mentioned, we have APDs that are going to sit with each class and go through. Um, we're going to switch it up a little bit and have an APD per year. So like one will be an intern specialty APD, one will be a second year specialty APD. But I wanted to hold on to my class because this is the first time I'm getting to do this. So I'm the one throwing off the cycle. Um, but after that, we'll do it um, class specific APDs. Um, we also have big sibs and little sibs. And we also have something called buddy groups where basically we have two faculty members and then one resident per class. And we kind of just meet, do lunch, hike. Um, and then also starting this year, we're also matching people with specific ment uh, mentors going along with their interests, so like global health, me, education will be other faculty members, things of that nature. So a couple different ways that we're integrating mentorship into the program. I hope that was helpful. All right. Thank you guys so much for all that information. I hope that that really helped everyone that was listening in. So that is a wrap for today. And I just want to thank you to all the panelists for joining us. I know Dr. Tui had to leave to another meeting, but we really appreciate you taking the time to answer our questions. And hopefully we'll get to see you guys all soon. So thank you all for joining us. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about AEM RSA, visit the website at www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.